Hi, this is Queer Margins Series 1, Old Queens, and I'm Rhys T. Matthews. This podcast talks to those in the LGBTQ community who are rarely heard from. And this series, I'm talking to older queer people about their experiences. And this is a bonus episode, Jonathan and Nigel. So this is the second part of the conversation I had with Jonathan in episode three. Jonathan's partner, Nigel, joined us for more of the conversation this time around. He suffered from a stroke a few years ago and so gets worn out quite easily. So he contributed to the interview when he could. Nigel and Jonathan met shortly after Jonathan was diagnosed with HIV. Nigel brought Jonathan into the group that later led into Lesbians and Gays Support the Miners, the organisation that helped out families in the Welsh mining communities during the strikes. And their stories later contributed to the film Pride. The episode starts with Jonathan talking about going back to the mining community years after their last visit. And Nigel joins us a little later. So, here they both are. I mean, what was, what was extraordinary was, was like going back for the 30th anniversary of the, uh, actually the ending of the miners' strike, which was what was slightly weird, and we went to the Encloine, so we actually went to the, uh, to the hall, we had this uh, thing in what, sort of 2015. Oh, cool. And that was fabulous. Yeah. I mean, one had met, you know, one had lost touch with people, I mean, sort of, Nigel and I sort of kept in contact with um, with Cliff Christ. Mm-hmm. And if we were sort of going there, we might go and stay with him or stay somewhere and go and see him. But sort of, we kind of lost contact with a lot of other people, stayed in close contact. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once sort of the film came out, one renewed and then yeah. sort of, um, you know, we particularly sort of, got sort of close again with, with Sean, who was lovely. Mm-hmm. Um, so were you quite close special. with him? Yeah. Previously as well. Mm. So sort of... Um, but at the time when sort of the filming started, sort of Nigel just had his stroke. Yeah. So kind of sort of it was... It was quite... For him, it was, it was quite difficult. Mm-hmm. I mean... We went to the, the, the premiere, that was, uh, that was fine. Um, and when he was in hospital, I mean, he received this amazing, huge card that all the cast and all the crew oh, had signed. So that was, uh, that was special. But it was, it, it's kind of was, is difficult, was difficult, because mm-hmm. like he finds, you know, meeting with groups difficult, there's too much information to be taking in and you know he was the one who was really you know he was political it was through meeting him that you kind of got involved right yeah I mean basically I'd I'd received my sort of my diagnosis in 82 October 82 and you know it was it was grim I knew that it was a terminal diagnosis Mm -hmm. I was told it was a terminal diagnosis it was called HTLV3 at that point um, I had a, a very dear friend who lived in San Francisco, moved to San Francisco, who just, I shared a flat with, had a relationship with back in the sort of mid-70s, probably about 75, 76. Hey. Hello. Nigel. Do you want a drink? No. 
Jonathan was just telling me about how you met and that you were a bit more political than him. Bit more political. Oh well, yeah, I was then. Mm-hmm. But I think that's changed, really. Okay. But you were part of gay left. Oh yes, I was. Yeah, I was. And you kind of led him into that world a bit as well. I think that I did, it? yes. Yeah. Well, I mean, basically. You know, what had happened was that the, having had the, the diagnosis in the December of that year, I attempted suicide. It's right. half-hearted, but, you know. And I couldn't do it. When push came to shove, I couldn't do it. I was going to have a rather hot path, slip my wrists, and that would be it. But it never happened. There was going to be too much mess. And someone would have to clean it up. <laughs> That's very practical of you at that time. Yeah, well, you know, you know. One that we'd been brought up by my sort of, you know, my mother having been domestic science teacher, you know, <laughs> what I know. And you kind of get ingrained that you've got to clear up your own mess, blah, blah, blah. So I couldn't do it. But then it was this question of, but what are you going to do? You know, you've got to get on and live. But mm-hmm. how do you do it? Because you've got this killer virus coursing through your vein and one thing or another. And I used to go and stand in pubs, but in the shade. Wanted to meet people, but not wanted to meet people because I didn't want to have to tell them and explain. And it was, you know, just difficult. And I picked up a copy of Capital Gay. Mm-hmm. And I remember there was this tiny little advertisement saying that this group called Gays for a Nuclear Free Future were running a coach from Gays the Word, leaving at 11 o'clock on the 1st of April, 1983. Right. And I thought, all right. This is going to be my entry back into society. I'm going to gird up my loins and I am going to go and Mm -hmm. on it. And I remember arriving at Russell Square Tube Station and coming out, walking up uh, Marchman Street and seeing the coach there. And then this person (laughs) appears who's got this... Fair Isle sweater, this sort of swathe of black curly hair. Got my memory is green Wellington boots and these ochre and crimson pantaloons. That's quite a look. And that was him. He introduced himself. <laughs> my name's Nigel. Who are you? And that was it. And we then spent the whole day together mm-hmm. on the coach. And I thought I'm, no, I'm not going to know anybody there. And it was Noel Gregg from Gay Sweatshop who was on the coach. He introduced me to a lot of uh, of his friends. And then at the end of it, Noel Gregg said everybody back to his squat in uh, hmm. West Hampstead. It was going to be a party. So we went. So then continued. And did you... And then was it from then on that you kind of like got together? Or was it... Like friendship for a while. Well, it was friendship and and get together at the same time. Okay. Sort of, and then sort of, uh, he came over to tea. And he bought anemones and donuts <laughs> when I was living in the East End, and he basically said, "I'm living in Fleet Road and Squatting Fleet Road. You're living here, isolated in the East End. Why don't we?" get a place together I know this squat in uh, in St James's Crescent in Brixton why not I thought, yeah why not be dead next week do it 
That's what it's known. That was that was that. And did you? So were you kind of like in a relationship then, or did it develop into it, or was it just kind of like a bit? I don't know. That how would you describe it? I don't know how I would describe it. It was it was always a kind of open relationship in a way. Mm-hmm. I suppose because like you know. He would have been 36, I would have been 33. Someone had been around the block. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't like I was going to be sort of committed and monogamous, really. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah, then, then sort of, you know, and sexually things didn't really work out for us. What do you mean? But, well, just we weren't particularly sort of compatible, sort of. So, right. which was fine, but there was this this kind of friendship, and then sort of we moved into first of all we moved into because we had to leave St James's Crescent. Oh, that's right. So, like, what was it? The squat had like shut. Was it a squat? You it was a squat. Yeah, and basically, do you want to tell the story? Yeah. Right. Uh, basically. The underaged boyfriend of the woman who's kind of was Queen Bee of the Squad was dealing drugs, and she discovered the uh, the drugs. And he and he was what maybe sixty, and he said they were Nigel's. <gasps> so she threw us out. Oh shit! That's bad. Yeah, but he knew of the squats here well the squats what were the squats that are now a part of the housing co-op and had heard that there were two rooms going in 146 so how many people did you move in with as in how many people were like sharing a house god there was Stephen Finlay Dirk who else was in there there were about four five Four and then the and two of us, and there were how many bedrooms? Two rooms. Well, there were rooms. Right. Okay. Wasn't like you know. So oh, I seem to remember that there were two rooms, but maybe there were. Them. There was one. I can't. I mean, those those details. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. But like living with seven people, five other people. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. But the, but the whole place was full of it because. You know, it's all of them were communal houses. Mm-hmm. So there was all that negotiation, which is the reason why nobody wanted to live communally, which is why everything became these right. single-person units. Mm-hmm. So do you think that... So you two, would you say your relationship was like based on politics? Well, he was very political, and I was kind of... I mean, I'd always been political in terms of... You know, as an actor, I was part of equity. I believed in trade unions and, and what's-his-name. But I don't know that I was necessarily... I'd never joined a political party. You know, I was much more of an anarchist than right. anything. So he was much more, in a way, mainstream, but, you know, a troll. Are you still political now? Well, I don't feel well enough to be political in mm-hmm. way. But, like, up until recently, have you been quite interested in... Um, I don't know if that's... Yes, you always were. Yeah. Um, 
you know, one of the legacies of, of uh, Ken Livingston when he was the leader of the GLC mm-hmm. was that if you were out of work and unemployed, you paid one pound and you could do any number of courses at City Lit, Morley College, any other education thing. Mm-hmm. And it was amazing. And we went, used to go off and do all kinds of things. I mean, he was going off with his friend Barry Prothero to do a trouser-making class. Huh. And I said, oh, that sounds fun. Can I come along? So then I thought, how many pairs of trousers do I need? What I really need to do is learn how to make a pattern. And somebody pipes up, oh, they do that at the London College of Fashion oh, gosh. down at Shoreditch. Mm-hmm. I've paid my pounds. <laughs> you get your, you know? so, get your yeah. money's worth. Anyway, I'm going to be dead next week. I mean, sort of, and by this time, the miners' strike is over. Mm-hmm. So that had kept us going, or me going, mm-hmm. you know, it'd been amazing. So st- I needed to make myself, keep myself occupied so I didn't get depressed and uh, what have you. So I poodled down and enrolled and did this pattern-making class. And while I'm doing the pattern-making class, one of the tutors said, oh, by the way, we do this City and Guild's uh, three-year tailoring course. Might you be interested? I thought, oh, that sounds fun. You know, I'll be dead before I finish it. But yeah, why not? So I went to Lambeth and asked if I could get a grant, Mm -hmm. because there were still grants. Uh, And amazingly, they said yes. So we used to go and work shifts in a a restaurant called the Bon Ton Roulet up in Herne Hill to get some sort of money. So, yeah. It sounds like your reaction to, like, I'm going to be dead next week, there was a lot of, like, positivity came out of that. More than, like, I think a lot of people it would sort of affect them in a negative way, but you kind of took a lot of opportunities for it. Yeah, I think, yes. But but I suppose that that might be the kind of Jewish background. Right. Because the big thing about life is living. Mm -hmm. The high life, so... Right. So, yeah, so you just do it. I don't know, I mean, it's just... How was it for, like, you feeling like, I don't know, you were with someone that, how was it knowing that you were with somebody who could be dead in a week? Oh, I never really, I never really believed it, did I? No. What's it? He never even took on board, I don't think he ever really took on board that, that you know, I was, well, it wasn't HIV, but, but I had the virus. <laughs> it didn't seem real to me, it was my attitude. <laughs> well, happy, and, uh, and, and there'd be—I well, mean, but I there were lots there. of people that that you know you knew who had you know died. I mean, it was yeah. it, it was just, wasn't it? I mean, sort of. Yes, that was how it was. I think mm-hmm. he seemed well, and uh, I think it was like Joe said, it was uh, like what what is living, mm-hmm. living's doing. And, if you're doing and you're well, that will protect you, I suppose. It's probably a bit naive, but... Uh, it worked. Yes, yeah. It did. But, I mean, there were also, I mean, the really extraordinary times as well. You guys have been together for, like, quite a while now. Did you never think about when, like, civil partnerships became a thing? 
did you not think about doing that? Or have yeah. you... Basically, because, you know, both of us were living on welfare. Mm. Um, so, if we had gone for a civil partnership, then both our kind of things would become one. So it would really, you know, we didn't own any property. We live in rented things. So the only reason for having a civil partnership is to protect either property mm -hmm. or property rights. Right. Essentially. Mm -hmm. You know, one had made wills. So, you know, in those early days, we made a Terence Against Trust sort of helped you make a will oh, cool. and helped you make living wills. Sorry, so, right, so, that's my next question. So, yeah. um, which is really good, so that, that actually the living wills that we each made back in the kind of 90s mm -hmm. um, held good for when he had his stroke yeah. and we made our wills or remade our wills for various reasons. And I asked the solicitor, what about um, our living wills? And he said, oh, no, they, they, they're good. Okay. So, you know, I can have power of attorney yeah, that's when it's needed for, for, right. for dealing with him. So we were going to, to go through that. There's this huge forms that you have to do for, for making not living wills now, but I can't remember what they're called because we did one for, for Philip because Nigel had this amazing relationship with a man and, you know because we had this open relationship so he had a, a relationship with uh, with a man called Philip Philip Rush uh, and when Philip died he left Nigel with a substantial amount of money and he left me equally sort of uh, an amount so we needed to make sure we made mm -hmm. wills and things to take care of that. But at that point, sort of, then I found out that, that my living will was, was would be, and his living will was, was good in terms of me being able to, to have power of attorney mm -hmm. when needed for him. So you've mentioned um, open relationships then. Was it quite common then to have open relationships? I don't know. Because mm. I just... The, the, I mean, the reason for for us having one, even though it wasn't exactly stated as such, was that he had this, you know, sexual relationship with his friend Philip, um, and which for me was great because it took me off the hook. So in terms that sort of I didn't have to worry about sort of you know his sexual needs because he was getting gratification. Mm -hmm. So that that was good so in, in my head that was healthy it may not necessarily be um, and yeah so sort of so he was sort of happy we were we were fortunate in terms that we shared a space in terms of he has his flat upstairs I have my flat downstairs mm -hmm. so it meant that when things got tricky and they weren't always rosy were they one could sort of you know shut the door hmm. say thing and there were there were times that sort of you know either he was thinking of moving or I was thinking of moving but sort of you know because 
various sort of tensions. Those things sort of they happen in relationships. Mm-hmm. But happily, it never came to that, which is good because, like, sort of, you know, now, you know, the situation that that, that is, I'm around. Mm-hmm. Somehow mm-hmm. we've we've managed to survive. And of course, when you, as you know, when you live in a place like this, yeah. why would you ever want to move out mm-hmm. unless you really are? having such a bad yeah, time and there were points that it almost got to that but it never that's amazing did it <laughs> <laughs> I'm still here yeah. Yeah. yeah so to go to so the lesbians and gay support the minors um, my just reaction from like watching that film a while ago it looked like the homophobia was kind of like dealt with very quickly in the film, on the whole, yeah, was it as simple as that? Did you just go in, dance to shame, 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 and then, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then everybody? Um, essentially, you know, the film is the film. Mm. You know, my number was L one, not L two. They got it wrong. Okay, no, no, but <laughs> um, it wasn't a telephone call. Mike Jackson had written a letter. And so this letter had been received by the support group there. And there was a whole discussion. And Sean says, oh, there was, there was jollity and laughter and there were all the jokes that you could imagine. And all of a sudden, they stopped and they said, what are we doing here? And this is a place where in the 20s, when the mines were privately owned... Mm-hmm. the mine owners had brought in Galician miners to break the strike. And when the Galician miners arrived and realised that they'd been brought in to break the strike, they joined the strike. Okay. So I don't know, you, you may not have noticed, but there is a, a shot there's a, of this row of Spanish cottages, okay. which were named because of the Galician miners. Right. The mining community sent a telegram to Mao Zedong congratulating him on the end of the Long March. So these are really, really political people. Right, okay. So they kind of stopped themselves and in, in terms of what we're doing here. And they basically said, if people have difficulty with us accepting the money from lesbian and gay men sport miners... When they come down as a group, just stay away. Okay. So we never encountered Wow. It. It, was, it, was, it was extraordinary. One didn't. And, you know, the first time we arrived there, we'd got terribly lost. There was two Hackney community transport um, buses and a beaten-up Volkswagen. And we got incredibly lost, and we arrived about one o'clock. Everything had finished, and we, we all ended up on... Uh, Di Donovan's you know, living room right. floor mm-hmm. I, the image in the, in the film but so when we went in the next day to the Mount one was thinking what the fuck have we let ourselves into and as we walked in people started applauding that was it and were, were you there in the first when you went down for the first time yeah so what were your feelings when you I mean, you're obviously nervous, as you said, but like, 
did did so you thought you were going to experience like quite bad homophobia or you thought that like when you first got there yeah because yeah. one just thought how on earth i mean this is weird isn't it i mm-hmm. mean that that we're going down sort of you know a group of gay men and lesbians sort of going down to wherever mm-hmm. you know one had no idea mm. but somehow it just and i suppose that you know, I mean, the other thing which is amazing is the generosity from them to us. In what way? Well, just given the fact that, that you know, these are the aristocrats of the working classes mm-hmm. who suddenly are feeling the kind of the lash, you know, from the police and the state in a way that they must never have known. Whereas, you know, we lived with it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it was commonplace, wasn't it? For sort of, you know, gay bars to be raided, you know, police to harass you sort of on the streets if you're out sort of outside drinking, sort of, you know, mm-hmm. wanting to arrest you or making it difficult. So, but for them, it it must have been so strange. Mm-hmm. And to the extent that the women who were amazing, I mean, it was the women who were on the, the, the picket line because... If the men were arrested on the picket lines, they would lose their jobs and lose their money. Whereas the women mm-hmm. were out up there. And, you know, and they're feisty. <laughs> yeah. It was so great hanging out with these two and seeing how much love they have for each other. Seeing the way they talk to each other, it's clear that their relationship just works. And it was amazing to be with them both. And Queer Margins will be back with full-length episodes from next week. If you enjoyed, then please rate, review, and subscribe wherever you're listening. And you can also follow on Instagram, which is at Queer Margins. Thanks.